Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Sisters and brothers, I didn't mean to scare you this morning with uh, my black <laughs> robe. This is the traditional robe in France for the ministers. Um, so, as you know, I'm a French minister, a French minister from the Reformed Church, which is united with the Lutherans now. And I'm currently a minister in Scotland, in the northeast, where I did a swap just for four weeks with Joel. And so this is the traditional robe that the French ministers uh, wear during festivals, Holy Communion, which occurs once a month or four, four times a year in Scotland, uh, weddings and funerals. Um, so I wanted to show you this, and this is in, indeed uh, the same uh, robe as those of the judges and uh, lawyers in France, except just these two white things that uh, symbolize uh, New and Old Testament. So I know that in many Reformed churches now they have black, they have white robes, which means something more bright and maybe uh, um, less scaring for the children. <laughs> I don't know. So um, I, so I'm a French minister, as I said. So my my background is the the Huguenot Church, and some of you know this word, and there have been Huguenots coming here to America. And you know that um, these uh, Huguenots were seeking refuge in some countries. Some countries. And in, in fact, um, the first time we used uh, this word of refugee, uh, that comes from the French refugié, uh, was for them, the, the Huguenots that had to flee France due to the that the fact that Protestantism was banned from the kingdom of France. So what we have in common is that um, I belong to a Reformed church like you, and we've got uh, a Reformer in common, Jean Calvin, John Calvin, uh, which is also the Reformer for your Presbyterian church, with, I mean the main uh, reference in the history and, uh, and so Jean Calvin is French and, and, and went to Geneva to do the reform. And this was the model of almost all the reformed churches in the world that gather to get together now something like 80 million people in the world communion. So we belong to sister churches and I'm very pleased to be here, very honored to, to, to give this sermon this morning with you. And what I choose to do uh, is to take a sermon that I did in Scotland a few weeks or months ago um, because I don't know you, so I don't know what are your challenges. I don't know very well what is your context. And so, you know, when you read the Bible, you, you want to bring a message to speak to today and uh, where you are and how the mission is where you are, but I don't know it at all here. And this is very different to what I know in Europe, where maybe, as you know, it's, very, it's a very hard time for the mainstream churches, historical churches like uh, ours, I mean the Reformed tradition, um, are 
living hard times now and people are getting older and older in these churches and there are less young people and it's challenging every day in these uh, European churches to do things, to get volunteer people. And um, so, yes, the context is very different in Europe now to what maybe you know here. So I'm very pleased to see so many children and a so vibrant time with the children. And thank you very much for this. It was really a pleasure to see something that became, in fact, rare in Europe. <laughs> so um, the, the, the ministers in Europe do not preach a long time. So don't uh, be... <laughs> we just, I mean, the sermon is just something like six to ten minutes, and it's no more um, 45 minutes like once. <laughs> Our Bible reading this morning tells two little stories that are part of a group of five. The paralytic pardoned and healed, the meal with tax collectors and sinners, the question of fasting, the pronouncement about the Sabbath, and the man with a withered hand. These two last uh, stories are the reading in the, the Gospel according to Mark that we read. And these are five stories of Jesus' controversy with the Pharisees and scribes. They are rich in teaching about the Christian faith. Seeing Jesus criticize the approach of the Pharisees, we understand better what is at the heart of the Christian faith. In this case, we see that what matters most in Jesus' teaching is to make love triumph and to do good beyond the attachment to a venerable religious tradition of godly people. To fully understand these texts, it is important to remember that Jesus does not criticize Jews as Christians have long thought. This made them anti-Semitic for two millennia to the horror of Nazism and the Second World War. No, Christians are not against the Jews. Je Jesus is a Jew like the Pharisees whom he challenges. At the very beginning of Christianity, in the decades following the death of Jesus, there was a very harsh confrontation between the early Christians and the Pharisaic movement. The Jews who recognized Jesus as the Messiah were excluded from the synagogues held by the Pharisees. It was roughly at this time that the Gospels were written. Therefore, the Gospels reflect the suffering and tension caused by this breakup. Conflict. Breaks. These agreements are always unfortunate. In matters of religion, we are always entitled to demand forgiveness and reconciliation. What is happening in our two stories? In the first, the disciples eat grains on a Sabbath. The Pharisees consider this prohibited by law. Jesus defends his disciples before the Pharisees. He argues by quoting the scriptures. He goes on the same ground of argumentation as the Pharisees, who are very good at quoting the scriptures to know what the law allows or forbids. In the idea of Jesus, the Sabbath is there to do good, 
In the second story, it is also the Sabbath day that Jesus heals a man whose hand is paralyzed. At that time, there is no medicine. People use religious healers to cure themselves. Jesus is recognized as a healer. He wants to do good to this man, and this implies breaking the law, at least as the Pharisees interpreted it. For the Pharisees, we must not heal someone on the Sabbath. It is clear that there are two opposing visions clashing in these stories. Unfortunately for the Pharisees, the gospel gives trial without due process. One may wonder why the Pharisees are so mean in this story. If we witnessed such a scene, surely people would intervene to soften the position of the Pharisees. It's not that the Pharisees are mean. The Pharisees of this story are here to represent a certain religious position which has always existed in religious religions and peoples. These Pharisees are very attached to the law. It is even their religious identity to be people attached to a strict observance of the law. This is their trademark. A bit like the French are passionate about their cheese, the Spanish by their bullfighting, the Germans by their beer, the British by their tea. And it's up to you to say to what you, on what you're keen on. But you know, these things are sacred. And you know maybe how much tea is sacred for the, for the British. And um, in the history, sometimes uh, soldiers died in order to take their tea during the battles. And I know in my current parish in Scotland, one of the members is a soldier and he witnessed such a scene, meaning that soldiers, British soldiers, during battles, even in the 19th, 1990s, uh, wanted to have their tea and, and, and could die <laughs> for just to let boil water or take sugar or milk to do their tea. So now let's return to the Pharisees. For them too, their attachment to a traditional and orthodox reading of the Torah goes beyond any other imperative. For Jesus, of course, it's not the same. Jesus grew up in the faith of Israel, but he does not have an obsession like that of the Pharisees. For him, the spirit of the law is more important, the spirit rather than the letter, and we must not miss an opportunity to do good because if we do nothing, it is as if we were hurting. So, sisters and brothers, what conclusions can we draw from this for our faith today? First, to be more attached to the spirit of the commandments and biblical words than to their letter. To do good, then, to act positively for others and to intervene as soon as it can be done. We have to be in the image of the teaching of Jesus and not in the image of that of the Pharisees. For the Pharisees of our two stories, religious identity is more than letting hungry people eat or heal someone when the opportunity arises. Thus, for us, religious and national identity must count less 
than being flexible in spirit and attentive to the needs of others. Let's look for a moment at what constitutes our religious identity. A church with its buildings, a minister, liturgical habits, certain songs, certain memories, certain values. All these constitute our religious identity. If we act as Pharisees, these things become the most important. We become attached to our habits, to what we already love and know. So any change is badly received and hardly accepted. If we act as disciples, all these things, church buildings, minister, habits, songs, values, become secondary because what comes to the fore is to be attentive to others, whatever their origin, and to do them good as much as possible. Then the kingdom of God becomes visible and closer to us. Amen.